Welcome to the Michael Zurich Podcast. We are podcasting from Blossom Valley Detailing, a veteran-owned small business located in East County, San Diego, California. This podcast is an open forum, open topic platform. We'll talk about anything other than politics. So sit back, get comfortable, and get ready for anything because you never know what might come out of his mouth. Hey, it's Michael Zurich, and it's time for the Michael Zurich Podcast. This will be volume three, and yes, we have a guest this week. We're hoping to have a guest every week uh, because nobody wants to just listen to me talk about myself. So remember, Blossom Valley Detailing is the one, the only sponsor for the Michael Zurich Podcast. Blossom Valley Detailing is your one-stop shopping for all details, all ceramic coatings, paint correction, and anything that you need done done on your vehicle. And remember, we now offer window film installation. So with me today, I have John Hickman. John Hickman is, uh, I've known John now for two years, maybe two years. We, I first met John um, at a Chamber of Commerce event. Um, I was not a board member at the time. John, uh, John and I got talking about cars because of course anybody can talk about cars, you can talk about anything. And uh, John mentioned that he had a car business, and it went from there. So with all that, John Hickman, everybody. Hey, Michael. Good to be here today. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it because I know uh, you're, a, you're a busy guy, and you have a busy schedule, and I appreciate you taking the time to come down to the shop. And yes, we are broadcasting from Blossom Valley Detailing right here in the heart of Blossom Valley in my shop. So, John, tell us a little bit about John Hickman. You know, first I'm going to kind of set the scene for all of you. So, so we're sitting here in the office, which I will say this is a fantastic shop. But the view out of the window in this shop, there's the mountains. Yeah, you get the, the good sunset. view. Sunset. I mean, this is this is epic right here. Yeah, I get I get the view of the whiteboard and the <laughs> and the sawzall that I look at. Yeah, everybody looks out the window. Uh, Keith, I did last week. He's like, oh my god, that's a great view out the window. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a nice view. I don't get to see it, but yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, that's part of the part of the, the beauty of Alpine is the mountains and the views. It's just I, I don't think anywhere in Alpine you you can buy and not have a nice view. And then you get over here in Blossom Valley, it's a little bit lower. It's a little more majestic. It's just a, a great area. But uh, anyway, it is. We like it. That's for sure. We're but, not we're not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, you introduced that we first met talking about cars. I will I will say cars to me. It's like a universal language. It, it is. is one of those that when you start to talk cars and someone appreciates cars and has a passion for them, it, it is more than a hobby. It, it is really a part of who they are. And it becomes a great catalyst for additional conversations and it really grows that connection with people and i i know when we first started talking it was just immediate and we just began talking about different cars that we enjoyed and then of course you start talking about detailing it just it really creates a great connection for people and that that's part of you know when i think about my history in cars you know it goes back to when i was a little kid my my grandfather and my father um they both built uh, classic uh, antique aircraft biplanes Really? Yeah. Where? Uh, right here. And uh, well, they started in Arizona, and then when we moved here, I was about three years old, and they they've been flying around the San Diego area that entire time. So there are, are a group of three antique aircraft that'll fly around: a blue one, a yellow one, and a red one. Like now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've see seen them. the biplanes fly. Yeah. So they come out of Gillespie. Come out of Gillespie. Wow. Yeah. That's your dad. That's my dad. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So, uh, and my uncle flies, we, we all pretty much fly, but uh, they, they do it more regularly than I do. So you're a pilot. I am. So I have my glider license. I do not have my powered license yet. Oh, well. Yeah, I need to go back and finish that, actually. Who knew? 
So you but learn, learn, you I always learn it. stuff. Yeah, yeah. We, and you think about it, you know, mechanical cars, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that I think the reason that we connect so well with it is, A, you're controlling the machine. So when you're driving, you're a part of the experience. You're part of the machine. But then it's also very easy to understand the mechanics of the vehicle and really be able to understand how it's behaving and what's happening with it. And, and even if you don't, it's that beauty of that connection that you feel with cars. And so not only is it a, a wonderful language to be able to speak, but it all also is a great passion to be able to enjoy. And uh, so, so my history with cars, you know, started from my father and grandfather building airplanes and then also building antique cars. And uh, matter of fact, I, as a boy, grew up while my dad was building a 53 GMC pickup truck. It's a blue pickup truck. And uh, it's on my YouTube channel quite a bit. It, I call it Old Blue. And what is your YouTube channel? Plug that. It is Desert underscore John. So if you go find me, uh, you'll see a lot of great content related to cars, a lot of shorts related to exotics and classic cars, just a ton of really great car material. And I, honestly, I say anything cool. So I'll have uh, the occasional uh, mechanical breakdown of something where I'll take something apart and actually go through how it works and you know, different components of, of anything electrical or mechanical, but then really focus on cars. So it's, sure. it's a lot of fun. But yes, desert underscore John. Desert underscore John. Look <laughs> it up. Everybody check it out. <laughs> and then on TikTok, we also have a TikTok, uh, same uh, desert underscore John. We also have Alpine Motors LLC. So our That's your company. The company is Alpine Motors. Yeah. So that, it has its own TikTok. It does. It does. Yeah. I don't um, I don't think I subscribe to that. Oh. I, TikTok I, is a... You know, it, it's interesting. I've, I've been trying to learn the algorithms and, and each different platform. YouTube, of course, is longer content. Instagram is short, very, you know, 10 seconds, maybe 30 seconds at the max. Uh, you know, Facebook is similar. And then TikTok, it really is short format. It's 13 minutes max, 20 minutes at the top. If you, you know what I like about seconds, TikTok? Excuse me. Well, what I don't like about it is the Chinese owning it. Yep, yeah. I said it. I don't even start with me. So that I don't like. But what I do like about it, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have any of this crap if I didn't have the business. I'll just be honest. I was talking to somebody about this the other day, talking about social media and all this, you know, the algorithms, making it work, spending time with it. If I didn't have to screw around with these cars and try to push this out, I wouldn't have any of that crap. But like, nope, fuck that. Don't want anything to do with it. But TikTok I found later in life, like months ago, not years ago. And I just said, screw it. Let me try it. What I really like about TikTok is I can do a video, which DeAndra t- tells me I, I have to stop now because she's doing them. But I, I can put a video on TikTok and literally it'll upload in seconds. Yeah. Whereas Instagram's like, yeah, I'll feel like maybe I'll load it. I don't know. <laughs> it's going slow. And I'm like, how can it, be? what is the difference? Like TikTok, boop, done. I load that same video on Instagram and it's like, don't, don't close out. Don't, don't breathe. Don't look at anything else. Is it slow? And, and I'm on fast Wi-Fi here. We've got the, we don't have the giga bundle thing, but we got the next one down. You know, I'm broadcasting pretty, pretty, pretty stout down here, yeah. shooting it up to the house. And it's like, mm, like, uh. you know, it's, it, what's interesting about social media and, and I'll kind of tie this back to the business. So I've been, I, because I've been around cars since I was a kid and, and you know, I've, I've been building and customizing really since, truly since I was about 12 or 13 years old. When I first started, if you wanted to learn how to build a car, you took it apart. 
Yeah. And you either use a Chilton's manual. Chilton's. Oh, yeah. Yes, oh. Chilton's. I have a Chilton's on the 94 Ford Ranger. <laughs> there you go. Yep. Or, or you, you, know, you had a, an assembly manual. I remember my first uh, 69 Camaro, I went and bought an assembly manual from the manufacturer. And I, that's how I learned to take that car apart. Well, now, as things have evolved, the Internet has truly become that source for information. And there's so much content available. YouTube. YouTube. Oh, my God. You know, if, if I don't know how to take something apart, before I would kind of figure it out and I'd have to reverse engineer it. Now, I go to YouTube. Yeah, go right to YouTube. Somebody yeah. who's done it. Somebody's done it. Or somebody's done something close enough. Yeah. You know, it might not be the exact. I mean, so when I got this Cayman out here, I took it in to get it smog. So I got a little excited. I'm like, oh, my God, cars here. Let me get a smog and get a license. Took it down to um, uh, Dino Shop in Santee. Yep. Um, same guy does smogs down there. And so he comes in. He goes, hey, you, you know you got to pull the whole back end out so I can look at the engine and verify the smog and all that crap. I'm like, ah, shit. So I bring it home, and I'm looking at it. And, of course, it's all plastic and carpet. I have no clue. I watched a guy on a video take a GT4 apart, which is a Cayman, brand new one, and he, and he broke two clips doing it. Uh, I took the whole thing apart. It took me an hour, but if it had not been for that YouTube video, wouldn't even have known where to start yep. just to expose the engine compartment to take those bolts off so he can look at that crap. But yeah, yeah you're right. Everything's there. When you think about, like, uh, let's say the McLarens, right now that's a big, a big item on YouTube. You know, Tavarish, uh, Matt, uh, Armstrong, all of those YouTubers, they, they're taking these cars apart and they're demystifying the technology. So where before you had to be a McLaren certified yeah. technician to be able to work on that car, now you can go watch a video and they've literally taken apart the hydraulic system or they've purged the, the coolant system. You know, they, they show you how to do those things. It is a very different world. From you know pre-internet, sure. where you were you know you had to just figure it yeah, out and or and, go to a mechanic, yeah, or go to a mechanic, yeah. But, but it, it's also changed the the car business as a whole. So, so my business Alpine Motors exists because really, I, when you're selling a car, if you're if you're you know in tune with your car and you're comfortable selling, it's not the clientele I'm looking for. I, I'll help them. I absolutely. So let's let's back up for a second. So tell us. Alpine Motors, yeah, what it is, yeah. Uh, Let, let's just get into what the business actually is. Absolutely. You own it. You're the only person, correct? I, I am, unfortunately. The it's only a it's person. a John Hickman creation, <laughs> and you're the you're the president and CEO. I know that role. Yeah, it is. It is. So so Alpine Motors is a car dealership, but it's not the normal car dealership model. So it, I take cars on consignment, which means the owner retains the title retains the uh, action a lot of times the car itself and I'll help them sell it on consignment. So there are some laws that I have to go by. So if I show the vehicle to a buyer, I have to have it at my dealership location. Oh yeah. But for the most part, the owner can retain the car in their own personal collection in their garage, keep it safe and they feel very comfortable with it. The clientele that I'm looking for or trying to help are people that have either built the car and have a passion for it and now they want to sell it. So there's an emotional connection to it. They've inherited the car, and maybe the family member was very passionate about it, and they remember that, and so now they've, they're trying to sell it because they don't want to keep it. It's difficult to upkeep, or perhaps they need the money. Um, and then it's also people that have a car that they just don't want to go through the process of selling because 
a lot of times when you're selling, you get the scammers. Yep. You have people that. Oh yeah, you don't want to deal. Yeah, you put a car. It doesn't matter how nice the car is. You've always got the low ballers. The yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Everybody's gone. Yeah, everybody sold a car has gone through that nightmare. And, yeah. it, and it all started uh, because I've been building for so long. When I build a car for someone, many of my clients end up wanting to sell them and then build something else. And as they try to navigate that kind of complexities of selling a vehicle, they're going to Barrett Jackson or they're listing it online. And it's, it is very emotional to sell the car, but then it's also extremely emotional when you're dealing with buyers that maybe are picking your car apart yeah. or you go to Barrett Jackson and there's not the right audience and you're not getting as much as you think you should have. It, it's very challenging. So you help facilitate. So we help facilitate. So the idea is to, if, if the client wants to sell it themselves, we'll consult and help them take the photographs, do the copy on the ad, handle some of the calls for them and help them sell the vehicle. Or they can consign it and we take care of everything. So we'll take all the photographs, videos, handle all the conversations, calls, everything, all the paperwork. And then you get a percentage of what it's going to sell for. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. And and right now we have five cars in the shop. All five of them have needed work. So we'll either sub out the work that needs to be done or we'll complete it there in the shop. So I believe I've got one that's going to be coming to you for some detailing. Nice. Yep. So that one, uh, it's it's. I've color sanded it. It's going to need a full paint correction and buff, and uh, we'll probably do ceramic coating. But that kind of work really brings the level of the car up. So part of it is also helping maximize the, the value of the vehicle. Oh, yeah, because you can add that. Um, like my buddy Tracy, um, he does Eclipse Motors. Here's a plug for Tracy and his company. So he's a, a broker. Um, he buys opposite of you, low end on the spectrum from the uh, from the auctions, and then he'll do, like, he just bought a mm, 01, 911 Carrera Cabriolet. Just just got it two days ago. It came from the East Coast. Nice it, yeah, it's nasty. So he's right now working on it, cleaning it up. And he'll do, he's pretty mechanical. He'll do a lot of work on it. But he had a uh, 09 um, C300 that we brought down here because good deal for him. I was training a guy two weekends ago on paint correction, ceramic coating. Didn't charge a guy for the training. Didn't charge him. I didn't charge him for anything. I liked the guy. If I don't like you, I'm gonna. you're going to pay. But I like the guy. He was hey, a nice wait, guy. Is that why I pay so much? That's why he pays so much. <laughs> so he came down. He did the work. And what else? An 09 C300. It was pretty rough. Did a paint correction on that ceramic coating. So Tracy's like, oh, yeah, I got a guy that wants to buy it. I go, well, shit, good for you because you can add on you know, tell him it's ceramic coated. Now you're not going to get the price of what it would cost normally to do a ceramic, but yeah, that all adds value to a car. Yeah. And if anybody knows what they're doing, when you tell them it's ceramic coated, they're like, Oh, well, gee, you know, that's better than a kick in the ass. And they move on. So, <laughs> yep, yeah. Yep. Well, the, the other part of the business too is, is helping people find cars. So we do a lot of auto finding. So that, that comes down to, um, while we specialize in class, classics and exotics and the kind of rarer cars, the regular cars, let's say uh, your kid's turning 16 and you want to buy them a, a Honda Civic, right? Maybe a 2012 Honda Civic. There are a lot of 2012 Honda Civics out there. There are also a lot of very beat up 2012 Honda Civics. Yeah, I've seen a few of them. Yeah. So help <laughs> they come in here for cleaning. <laughs> find a good car that's been well maintained that you can, you can really talk to either the owner or the seller or the dealer and find out details or even go to the auctions and buy something oh, yeah. and be able to sell it. So 
It's the whole idea of kind of, of removing the normal dealership experience and creating more of this kind of catered concierge experience sure. for buyers and sellers. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, the concierge service. So where you offer that, I offer the, I try to, do, I try to say that I'm the boutique detailer because um, I am a little finicky at what comes in here, but I will take anything that comes in. So I want to get to the point where I can tell people, you know, sorry, I'm not doing your minivan. <laughs> Move on. But that day hasn't come yet, so maybe someday. Yeah. But yeah, it's just to keep business, you know, the clientele that you would like to have yeah. is one thing. The clientele you get is completely another. So, you know, whatever, get a little money in the door and away you go. Um, so how long has the company been around? So we've been uh, an actual LLC for about three years. So okay. prior to that, uh, you know, I'd helped people for years buy and sell cars. But, uh, you know, when you start doing it past a certain point, it, it has to be a registered business. Sure. You have to be bonded and licensed. And, and I wanted to make it legitimate. What, what pushed me over the edge, I sold a, uh, a GT500, a, a 67 Mustang Fastback nice. at Barrett-Jackson. And uh, it was a five-year build, beautiful car, you know, absolutely just amazing. A 408 supercharged courier. And I mean, everything I could do, I did on this car. Uh, it was up on Saturday afternoon, really good time slot. The car sold really well. Well, during the week while I was there, I had met this couple and they had a 69 Camaro and 69 Camaros are very near and dear to my heart because that was one of the first real big builds that I did. One of the really first quality cars. So I, I scrutinized this car. I went over this whole thing. It was the most perfect 69 Camaro I've ever seen in my life. The black paint was amazing. It had dark red interior, just a fantastic, well-done car. It was a pro touring model, so they had aftermarket suspension on it. It had an LS conversion in it. Incredible car. Easily a $200,000 build. No problem. So as I'm talking to the people, uh, Friday night we went to dinner, and, and the wife is telling me about uh, you know, why they're selling this car. And this has been a passion project for years. They'd had hundreds of thousands of dollars in this car. And I said, well, what time slot did they give you? And she said, oh, they gave us Saturday prime time. And I thought, okay, well, prime time means a couple different things, prime time television or prime time floor. And she said, I don't know, it was just prime time. So I said, well, we'll look tomorrow, which was Saturday. So Saturday we meet, and she and her husband rolled in probably around 1 o'clock or so. I already knew what time slot they had given her. They had given her a prime time television TV time spot. Slot. Yeah, and in Las Vegas, when you go to that auction, it's very important that you're on the floor earlier in the evening because if you're there too late, nobody's left in the venue because they all go to dinner. They want to go out. Oh, town. yeah. I'm tired of looking at cars. They yes. want to go gamble and drink. Yes. So by the time they got up on the floor and, and Barrett will fill slots with, uh, you know, the numbers. If you look at the numbers, it's usually a, a solid number like 702. If there's a 702.1, it's somebody that they've inserted in between other cars. Well, they had inserted quite a few cars before them, which pushed them out even further. By the time they got on the floor, the car did well. It did about 120000 but it was off by about 60, mm. 65, 70000 They were both completely distraught. The, the wife, she knew there was no one on the floor. She came to me, asked me if I'd drive the car up. I said, well, I, I can't do anything to make this situation better. I can take your storyboard up. I can make sure that they read a good copy on it. That's all I can do. So we ended up selling the car. They were heartbroken. Wonderful, wonderful people. I sent a Christmas card. I still stay in contact with them. Just fantastic people. The husband is now recovering from his, his, he was 
battling cancer. He's now mm. recovering. He's doing very well. Nice. But that moment, I realized there is so much to selling cars that are more than just a normal car, knowing the right audience to go and, and sell the vehicle to, knowing the right time slots in an event, using the right venues to sell. And I came home and I told my wife, I said, you know, in retirement, I would truly enjoy helping people. And she said, start now. And that way you can build your model and you can start helping people now. So that's exactly what I did. I started the LLC, formalized everything, you know, built the company up and started bringing clientele on. And it's, it's interesting because I think, I think you even asked me about this one time. All of my clientele is word of mouth. It's people that have shared either with someone else and I've helped them or they've sought me out because I've helped someone they know. It, it's really a very almost a family feeling to the business, which I absolutely love because it, it creates a connection with them and I can help them through the process. It doesn't cost any marketing dollars. <laughs> well, that yeah. is true. Except, you know. Yeah, well, word of mouth is, is you know, well, that is the cheapest. That is the cheapest marketing. And when you can, I think for that, that's great. And it, because you're not looking for, don't take this the wrong way. You're not looking for back to back to back to back to back. Correct. You're looking for, did good on this one. Jim over here is looking for some help. Let me go over and start a conversation with him, see if I can bring him in. That's a good way to do it. But you have a day job too, so you have to manage that. Correct. Uh, not that, and I've always said this, and I don't hide the fact, I don't have my company to make money. And that sounds stupid. And I've said this several times, but it, that's the truth. I'm not sitting here trying to line up 20 whatevers to bring in X amount of dollars. My, I was, I was, I talked to somebody about this the other day, my feeling on owning a business. So, and so I've talked about this in other, other podcasts, you know, my whole background's engineering that, that I'm a Marine engineer. That's what I've done my whole damn life, whether it was in the Navy or out of the Navy. So I think like an engineer, a lot of things are black and white to me. And I, if I can't analyze it, I have a hard time with it. If I can't see it in front of me, I have a hard time with it. So when I started this business, I had no effing clue what I was doing. Nothing. I had not read any books. I had not done any business, you know, other than our own investments, which I have a great guy that really kind of does that for us. So I help, but he's the expert. <laughs> so for me, when I started this, and actually the gentleman that owns the uh, the, the studio that does the intro and outro is Bob Berman. He always tells me two things expand or die. And I'm like, I'm not expanding, Bob. I'm not buying a shop. Everything's paid for here. So I'm not, that road is not happening. My expansion's my mobile rig. That was it. And the other thing he gets on me about is social media, which I've taken him up on and done. But my whole goal on this, and I told him this the other day, it's an ego thing with me. I, and not to be arrogant, but I've always been successful in whatever I've done. I've never really failed, if you will. So when I took the leap to do this and quit my day job, that was a big deal, but I wouldn't have done that had we not been financially sound to yeah. do it. I'm just not going to do that because I know that detailing is not going to pay any bills that we have. Um, so when I did it, it was all about learning how to run a business and trying to be successful with it and basically to pay Melissa and Owen. <laughs> as long as they're getting some money, yeah. you know, anything left over, as long as I'm paying my, my marketing and you know, whatever else I've got going with the business at the end of the day, at the end of the month, if I could say, yep, I made 20 bucks. Okay. I'm good with that. Do I want to keep it that way? Of course not. And it's always a, this is the goal. How do I get there? Didn't get there. What do I need to do? And it's like this podcast. It wasn't until, um, um, 
Toby with Mountain um, Marketing. Do you, have you met Toby? Yeah, you met Toby's him. The, great. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. So Toby's kind of a he. He's kind of a checklist guy like me. So he was like, "Oh, you've got this great podcasting equipment. Are you podcasting?" Yeah, no. Start it. Stop. Start it. Stop. Because it was never good enough. Never was it good enough. I'd listen to it. I'd send it out to friends and family, and I'd be like, "That sounds like shit." And finally, he's like, "You know what? Doesn't matter if two people listen to it or nobody listens to it." It's kind of like your business. You started it, you set the model, you went. And that's how this podcast is. It's getting a rhythm, getting it going, and putting it out there and trying to improve upon the process every time you do it. And with the business, I do the same thing. You know, we I have processes of how we do cars, but it's always an improvement. Melissa and Owen, keeping them trained up and moving along. But yeah, I I understand that a lot to keep things moving along. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. Um, and maybe when you do it in retirement, it'll feel a little bit different. Um, I don't like the business to feel like a business because I don't want it to feel, what do they say? If you love what you do, then you never work a day in your life. Well, okay. I get that's a, that's a great phrase, but I do love the detailing part of it, but I like, I kind of like the running of the business. I don't mind doing the work. I'm not lazy. I'll do the work, but I got two kids out there. Kids are 19 and 21, but I call them kids. I got two kids that can do the work and they're very good at what they do. But if there's something that needs to be done above and beyond what they're able, then I'm out there with them, either doing it with them or making sure they're doing it right. But I like the aspect of what does it take to make this business successful? Now, I don't have that answer. If I did, then, you know, whatever, but I don't, it's, it's like when you told me you had how many views on the video, What's it up to? Uh, that that one right now is almost 450,000. So 450,000 views on a video that John did. Well, shit, I can't even imagine that. If I get 200, I'm like, woohoo, you know, whatever. <laughs> but we keep plugging along to see what will work or what won't work. And it's like, it's kind of like marketing. To me, it's like shit on the wall. If it sticks, okay. If it falls off the wall, okay, we're not putting any more money on that. We're just going to move along. Yeah. So, you know. For you, word of mouth, awesome. For me, I do get word of mouth, but people really have to want to come here. Yeah. You know, because I'm not, I've said this a thousand times, I'm not in a big shop on a street somewhere. Yeah. I'm not connected with the dealerships. Um, I'm kind of connected with the community. So, but it's just, you know, people say, we've only been in business for two years. You got to give it time. Sometimes I get a little impatient and I don't want to give it time. Well, so. you know, in my hope, and you kind of hit it right on. It's 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 that idea of of loving what you do. It'll always be a a, a certain percentage of work. Yeah, because it it the the characters you deal with, you know, this the people that are buying or the you know the DMV transactions, whatever it might be. There's an an aura of work to it. Yeah, but at the same time, if I can do something that that makes a little bit of money helps people and I enjoy it and it fulfills my passion for cars. Cause I, I will say if I could have every car that I want, I would need a giant warehouse. I well, have a Jay Leto collection. That, <laughs> and it's funny you bring that up because I had somebody ask me once why I don't go to cars and coffee. Michael, you should go to cars and coffee. There's all kinds of business there. Well, I've learned at cars and coffee. The last thing people want is some guy coming up talking about detail in their car. It's not what they want to talk about. They want to talk about their car. Check. Got it. Or they want to talk about that guy's car or whatever, or the hot chick that just walked by. But they don't want to talk about detailing. They don't. I know this. So, and I go, well, let me try to let me try to summarize this up in the in in my world. So you say cars and coffee. So 
To me, that's like going to a strip club, paying money to watch a chick that you can't touch. And there you are. That's cars and coffee to me. It's yeah. not your car. You can't, you know, whatever. You ooh, you ah, you move on. Here, when there's a nice car in my shop, dude, I can lick on it. I can sit in it. I can back it in. I can back it out. There's that lap dance all day long, and nobody's paying anything. <laughs> That's how I look at it. So, I mean, I get nice cars down here. I don't want to go. I'll go to Cars and Coffee, and I go to the Porsche one because we do the mini drives now. But I'm not interested in your car. Sorry. I'm just I'm, I'm wired a little differently. And if I see a nice car that I like... And I'll be like, man, that's a nice car. And that could be freaking anything. Yeah. That could be some old patinaed out pickup truck yeah. that is a piece of shit. But I'm like, your, your that's a nice, that's your a neighbor's yeah, old truck out old, there. Old John and his oh, pilot. Or, or, uh, that's that's Bob <laughs> Yates and his, uh, yeah. What year is that truck? 70 something or 80 something? So it's 70s. It's the old red wagon Dodge truck. And yeah. It, it's very cool. I'm sure he's got a story. He's got a bunch of shit down there. So they yeah. used to live. So the house up here with the lights on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The so there. Yeah. yeah. With they've got the. So Bob Yates owned a bunch of land at Circle Vi Day down there. Okay. And anyhow, he's got a he's got a, a sorted background. But anyhow, had there's two big garages up there. The house burnt down in '03. They rebuilt it. But he had, I guess, quite the car collection up there, and tractors. Oh. So they moved out of there. They bought this house down here like a year after Stacy and I moved in. But he's had a lot of different cars in and out of there. Yeah. Ranger pickup trucks, that 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 pickup. He's got that old Cadillac inside the garage. He's got a 50-something oh. um, left-hand drive uh, Rolls Royce. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of the old, uh, yeah. um, one of the Ghost or whatever it is. Um, and then he's got a, a Dufendorf, what a Dusseldorf. It's not a real one. It's a replica in there. What else has he got in there? He's got something else in there. He's got that Merc out front, too. Yeah, well, he used to have a very nice, um, was it a Packard? Or a, uh, what's the old the other old car company um, that made cars for years? Um, maybe it was a Packard. When his grandson wrecked it. Oh. It was nice. Oh. Yeah, I did like that car. He'd fire that thing up. It had a hell of an engine on it. <laughs> but yeah, he, yeah, that thing went down. Um but yeah, he hasn't brought down any cars lately. That old Cadillac, that red Cadillac down there, the old Eldorado, yeah. that's his latest. Okay. I've never seen that one go anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, he's got quite so, the he's got quite the load of cars. So Buddy across the street had a beautiful pickup truck. I think it was a Ford. I don't know if it was an F one hundred, but it was very nice. Um, he's a car guy. Nice. Uh, Mustangs. His his family built Mustangs. I think in El Cajon. Okay. And he's got a sixty. Seven, I think, over at the house. It's kind of a mint green. It's beautiful, but that's in their garage over there. But he's an nice. old car guy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like you. I there's cars I just people think, well, that thing's a piece of crap. Like, no, that's a nice car. I like it. Yeah. Um, so out of the cars that you've owned, what is the favorite car through the years that you've owned that that either it's, you wish you still had? Yeah. What it's, what? it's funny. I've had. I actually had that question earlier today. I was talking to someone with our with another department at work and, and they were asking me that same question. And it, it's interesting because every car that I've ever owned has had a, a unique personality. Yeah. And the ones that I've enjoyed the most have had some sort of a connection to my childhood. So I have my grandfather's triumph TR three B. That's the one that's in your garage. 1963. Yeah. Yep. That's White a nice car interior. 
uh, I have my ex-father-in-law, or my, I guess my, my father-in-law's um, uh, 40 Cadillac that is a LaSalle on airbags, coupe, just a wonderful car that... Uh, That's not in the shop, is it? Uh, it's in there, yeah. It was it? Uh, up on the right-hand side. Okay. I've got an old Jeep Willys yep. that, that uh, is just kind of a fun, really simple, easy-to-work-on car. And then I've got my dad's uh, GMC pickup truck and then a multitude of other cars. The ones that I enjoy the most are the ones like driving the old blue pickup truck around. The challenge is it only goes 50 miles an hour. <laughs> it's got yeah. old pickup truck gearing in it, so it's great around Alpine, but that's about it. Uh, and then any of the exotics, the Porsches, anything I've ever owned, they're all so different. I had a 914 nine, uh, for a while with a 911 motor in it, six-cylinder. Oh, really? Yeah, slope nose, wide body, 305s on the rear. Wonderful car. It was It was one of the best handling vehicles I've ever owned ever. I could I could throw that car around like it was nothing and just it would always recover. And uh you know I I regretted the day I sold it. And I had a an old uh uh um 1960 uh, 19 uh let's see what was year was that uh 76 Ford Bronco, old style Bronco. Oh, the big one. Uh the small one. So oh, the small. still still a smaller body style. Uh, loved that thing. Had 302 in it. Just absolutely loved that vehicle. Uh, regretted selling it. Sure. So so each one has had its own personality. It's had its own place in my life. And every one of them, I've I've taken them completely apart. And I know every aspect of them. And I put them all back together and then taken them out and enjoyed them. And uh, so for me, you know, I would say probably my old pickup truck is the one just because it's a very much a Ratatouille moment when I drive it. Sure. It takes me back to my childhood. But every Every one of them has a different place when I drive them, and a different feel and a different personality. Yeah, that's so kind of that's how I get. Um, I never had a car that I ever wished that I really kept. I kind of half-assed regret, not regret. I loved the Aston, but I hated the fact that if I put it in a ditch, I was screwed because yeah. it was too pretty. That's a problem with that car; it's too pretty to get driven enough. But it was a nice car. But I remember my mom and dad had a. Um, my dad had a shit ton of cars, so my mom. Dad bought a brand new 59 Jag Mark II. Uh, Mom used to drive that one. Dad used to work on it because you didn't take it to a Jag dealership to work on it. So he did all the work on it. But he sold that. I think he always regretted selling that car. But I remember when we moved to Montana, we didn't have a four-wheel drive. We had a 1972 Grand Torino, dark green with green interior. God, it was ugly and such a piece of shit. Um, But we drove that thing to Montana, and Dad bought a... I don't know what year it was, but it was a Jeep Cherokee two door, three speed with a V6, yellow, mustard yellow and green interior. It was the ugly, no air conditioning. And, and of course the back seat you climbed, you know, to get to the back seat cause it was a two door, but that's a car that I always wish he would have kept cause it had the locking hubs. Uh, it was yeah. a great car and mom used to drive it. Um, but he sold that and he bought a, uh, uh, a grand wagoneer oh, yeah. the, with the Buick engine in it and the, the chain drive it was always in four wheel drive. It was root beer um, brown with the leather interior. It was very nice. That's a cool car. Yeah, it was, it was a nice car. And then he had a 79 uh, Chevy four wheel drive pickup truck uh, that he had for a few years, but dad always went through cars like every couple of years just cause he could, I don't yeah. know. That's how he was, yeah. but I don't, the worst car I ever had, I will tell you that, was a 1970 VW Bug. Mm. And I was forced to buy that from my brother. Hated it. Because dad had spotted a 73 SS Chevelle 
Nice car. Oh, 350 turbo 400 transmission. Dad bought that for my brother Ray. So that was Ray's car. Ray had the Volkswagen. I was told that I was going to buy the Volkswagen. I said, I want that damn thing, but you're going to buy it anyhow. So I ended up that piece of shit. And two engines later, um, got rid of it and bought a 73 Chevrolet um, Super Cheyenne pickup truck. And I had that for a lot of years. That truck actually went to Hawaii and my first ex-wife Loved it. Left it there. It's probably still there today running somewhere. <laughs> that thing. Rusted out probably. But yeah, that was a great truck. I love that truck. But yeah, I don't know. Cars I have today, I'm good with. Um, I like, of course, I like the Porsches. So I won't be buying any more lately. And, and a lot of times your car collection kind of evolves with you as well. Yeah. So, you know, as a kid, it was like, you know, whatever I could get. Yeah. I started or you afford it. And yeah. 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 So I think I had a, I had a, well, my first real kind of custom was an 80 Toyota pickup truck that my grandfather had given me and I customized it and lowered it and nice. it was part of the mini truck scene. And then after that, I had a, like a 73 240Z. Oh. Literally came from the, a guy across the street from our high school that had it out. There's a so, car, but you wish you kept. That that was a lot of fun. That was a great car, and I went through that car um, forever. I could never get it to run right. I, that was part of the reason he sold it is he could never get it to run right. And uh, you know, as I started to learn more and more about about cars and auto shop, uh, I brought it in one day, and I was we had a big uh, computer system that would measure dwell. And as I'm watching this system, the dwell is all over the place, and I couldn't figure out why everything, you know, why was the dwell changing so much? So I took the distributor apart and those distributors had bronze bushings inside of them. And so as the shaft would rotate, it would wear the bushings out. Yep. And so what was happening is the center of the, of the uh, distributor was actually moving, moving back and forth. And whenever it would go into vacuum, it would actually pull it even farther, which would, you know, increase the dwell. And, uh, and it would change the timing. It would act all kinds of, so I, I, I remember I found a NOS, new old stock distributor. Uh, Datsun came out of a Datsun dealership, brought it home, put it in. And from that day on, that was the nicest running 240Z I have ever driven in my life. And I've, I've helped people with them a lot. The carburetors were set up right on that car. It had low mileage. I think, I think when I got it, it had 40,000. I think when I did that change, it had 60,000, which was nothing for a 240Z. And that car was just a riot to drive. Oh, but what color was it? Brown. Oh, brown yeah. With the brown interior, like a light brown interior. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I drove it all through high school. Just, you know, and then I had other cars in between. I'd pick up like an old Toyota pickup truck or four wheel drive, which are worth a ton of money now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, that's why I like Brent Haywood's. I like oh, his truck. Yeah. Did you help him find that? No, no. He actually found I I met him through that truck. Yes, ah. I'm driving around Alpine. It's a, a beautiful old Ford. And it, he's got that uh, that uh, gold leaf of his business name on the side of it. Just just a neat, neat truck. But uh, that's another one that's on my, uh, my I think that, that one got 10,000 views on my Facebook page. I like that truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very cool old truck. But, yeah, I like that truck. Yeah, I, I definitely believe, though, that cars kind of evolve as our taste and as we age. You know, now, you know, I one of the most fun cars I've driven recently was a, a uh, Mustang GT500. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of the new ones. And uh, it was, a, I think it was a, one of the Barrett-Jackson events. And uh, I, I've done drifting before. And uh, so one of the guys that I drift with uh, was at SEMA a few years ago and, and we had dinner and hung out 
they said, hey, I'm going to go work for Ford, you know, doing their, their drift vehicle demonstration stuff. Oh, that's a rough life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he and then his brother works, uh, does the Dodge demonstration driving. So we go to, uh, go to Barrett Jackson, and I just happened to see them in the lunch line. I said, oh, you guys here selling? And they said, no, no, we're driving. Ooh, you're driving. What do you guys have? And one of them was driving the Hellcat in demonstration, giving rides, and the other was the GT500. And uh, so after the event, uh, I met up with them, and they both have those vehicles. One of them has a GT500, and then the other brother has the, the actual Demon. Not oh, a, wow. Yeah, not a Hellcat, a Demon. And uh, so we took them out, and I took the traction control off and threw that car around. And it 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 is a riot, you know, driving something that, a is that comfortable? B is just a beast to drive. Oh yeah, and then you're just sitting there with air conditioning and the steering. On. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with, thinking, with what seven hundred horsepower sitting yeah, there, yeah, thinking, or this more. Is, this is comfortable, you know. I'm sitting here drifting this car and just throwing this thing around and and just having a blast in it, and then, <laughs> you know, I'm not breaking a sweat. You know? No. So where when I was a kid, you know, I'd I'd have a '69 Camaro with a 350 and a supercharger, no AC, you know, big headers and. <laughs> Yeah, sweating my ass, sweating off. your ass off, listening to all that. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so I, I definitely, but you know, I think that your taste kind of changes as you as you you know move through, and and I see that in in car sales too. I see, you know, the the genres kind of move through the generations. Oh yeah, well as much as you get more money too. Yeah, I mean it's like I couldn't afford that as a kid, but yeah. now I can afford it. So let me go buy it. Oh yeah, well, you know it's like well guys our age. Yeah, now they have money. And, you know, who, me, I've never thought for sure that who ever think I'd own a Porsche, let alone two, you know, you know, but you, you do it right. You do what you do and you get what you want. You know, when you see like the, the Italians, you know, for a long time, the Italians were really like Lamborghinis, you know, all the, they were really pushed down in value and they, they always held an, an okay value, but like a Dino, you know, I sold a Dino last year. Uh, $325,000 for a Ferrari Dino, which when I was a kid, a Ferrari Dino was the the non-Ferrari Ferrari, right? Yep. It was a Fiat Ferrari. And now they're just astronomical. There was one the other day on Bring a Trailer, a custom that went for almost $500,000. God amazing. Yeah. But, but you know, it is it is neat to see that because you see those cars that, that maybe were less represented becoming more collectible uh the other day it was a, a ty- not a typhoon but a cyclone the gmc cyclone oh really I had, I had one of those when i was young i picked it up i actually got it out of the viejas uh, indian reservation the guy had gotten it stuck in the mud and it sat there for a year and i kept going by and seeing it and so i went by one day and made a deal with him and pulled it out of the mud and took it home and rebuilt it got it running but it had the buick v6 in it just a riot to drive well that car i think i sold it for Thirteen thousand dollars when I was done with it. One went through Bring a Trailer today for fifty-two thousand dollars. I, I couldn't believe it. And for forever, they were just a kind of an underserved vehicle that now has really come into its own. So. Yeah, it's amazing. What? Well, it's whatever people think they're worth and they really want it, and you go with it. Yeah. Well, uh, as much as I would love to sit here and talk more cars with you, I guess we need to finish this at one point or another and bring this because you have to answer the last question. So here on the podcast, we have one last question. And John is the first one to answer the last question uh, because we just came up with this. So the object of this is so I can listen to everybody 
I can ask them this identical question, and they can answer it however they answer it. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just a question just to bring the podcast to an end. So, John, you already know the question, but, of course, I've got to read it so everybody else knows what it is. <laughs> so, John, it is, why do details matter to you? Yeah. I think the, the details matter to me, and I'll, I'll approach it from a customer service perspective because that's that's really part of why I built the business. So, so the details are really what what set the, I guess, the, the true representation of satisfaction for someone. So in other words, if I'm helping someone sell a vehicle, it, knowing the details of what that car meant to them, um, you know, what they'd like to achieve from the process, how, I, how they'd like to be, uh, have information shared with them, you know, it, it, do they care if that vehicle goes to someone that truly appreciates it and will love it, or do they just really want to sell it and need the money? The details around that transaction and what they're looking for and who they are as a person helps me connect with them and provide them just an absolute excellent experience, which is what I want more than anything. I want to help them get through the process. I want to help them. I, I tell my wife sometimes my job is part salesman, but it's also part uh, psychologist because there's always a a... a an experience that these these owners are going through and I want to help them and, and the details and understanding those details in the situation are truly what helped me make that a, a good experience for them. And so it's it's important. You gotta listen. You need to understand what's important to them, what they want to achieve, and ultimately what their goal is out of the experience and, and out of the relationship that we're forming as as a partnership helping them through the process. So so I think from a customer service perspective, I would say it's it's really understanding, you know, what the client is trying to achieve and, and helping them meet that. And there you have it from John Hickman. Um, I haven't even answered that question yet because <laughs> I haven't answered. I haven't asked myself that question yet on any of the podcasts. Maybe I will eventually. Well, John, thanks for coming down. Like I know you're busy. Thanks for taking the time out. Watch the sunset. Now it's dark outside. So I know Stacy's on my case about when I'm coming up for dinner. I can already hear that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, well, she knew I was coming down to do this. So it's all good. All righty. So once again, this has been the Michael Zurich podcast. And we are podcasting from Blossom Valley Detailing here in beautiful Blossom Valley, California, which is just east of El Cajon and just west of Alpine. We're kind of halfway in between. So if you need anything done with, your car, hit us up, 760-814-1040, www.blossomvalleydetailing.com. And with that, we say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Pleasure being here. Thank you so Thanks for much. coming, John. We appreciate it. You got it. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Michael Zurich Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and tune in next time.